The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Think about the story of your life. What will outlast you? Meaning when the story of your life is finished being written, will it just close? Or will there be anything about your life that will continue on? Will it have any significance, any meaning, or any value past our lifetime? And you know, for most of us, we're probably just caught up in the moment, especially during the Christmas season. I mean, there's a lot to get done. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of shopping. There's a lot of decorating. There's a lot of, just a lot of right? And and it can become overwhelming. And so you're not even thinking about like next year. You're just like trying to survive like the week. And as a result, we live really short-sighted, very temporary lives, meaning our focus is very short-term. And for those that are looking a little bit longer term, meaning maybe you're caught up in the moment, but you're at least thinking and planning past the next couple of years, that's what maybe we refer to as success. And so what is it about success that lasts? I mean, success, when you think about it, right, is like, you know, what you've acquired, what you save, your retirement account, maybe the reputation that you build. Somebody who's truly successful has built a good reputation. They've, they've achieved uh, a, um, an admirable position. They've gotten an education that is uh, something to look up to and respect, right? But okay, so let's take success, most of what is success doesn't last past our life. I mean, if you view success as your education, when you die, there goes your education. Uh, if your success is uh, your retirement accounts, well, when you're finished retiring and you die, then it kind of ends. And of course, there's something passed on, hopefully, to family, but there's not much past the financial resource that you've given if it's our position. Well, you and I all know that eventually someone's gonna replace us in whatever position we're in. And so success, unfortunately, is very short-term. It has, a, there's a certain finality to it. And as a result, most of us are living for the moment and at best, just for our lifetime. Then, what if the story we're writing that we think is more than successful, it's significant, does not turn out to be what we would imagine it to have been. Meaning, what if what we thought mattered did not matter the way we thought it would matter? That was like, hey, that was hard to get out, all right? So I'm sure you're like over there going, wait, wait, what in the world is he saying? Okay, maybe let me illustrate it for you. Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer was a renowned physicist and became known as the leader of the Manhattan Project, a project during World War II that was uh, gathering some of the most brilliant thinkers together to get, uh, to invent or create nuclear weapons faster than the Nazis could invent them and create them. Uh, Oppenheimer became known as the father of the atomic bomb because the Manhattan Project was successful and we proved its success in the bombing of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima during World War II. 
Much later in Oppenheimer's life, he looked back and he quoted a uh, Hindu verse uh, where it reads, uh, quoting this individual Gita, and he says this, he goes, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Meaning here's a guy who he reached not just success, but he left significant impact behind. He did what everyone was dreaming could be done. I mean, he, he, his, his leadership ended a war. I mean, you can't do much better than that. But then decades later now, he looks back and he goes, no, what we created was horrific, horrible. So meaning you could get to the very end of your life, look back on it, and what you thought was significant, you may later look back on it and go, oh, Wow. That's not at all what I would have imagined it to have been. And so how do we know? How, how, do we, how do we live our lives in such a way that we're not just surviving, we're not just doing something that's successful, and we're not just making a significant impact because we may never know what actual impact we had even though we thought it would be significant. And then you look at big world history stuff. Meaning let's pull back from just our story and let's look at the story. The story of the world we live in and asking questions like what direction is history actually headed? I mean, are we actually evolving? Or could you suggest that we're devolving? I mean, things are getting worse and worse. Are we, uh, are we saving this cosmic ship called earth or are we sinking it? And maybe just me asking these questions is starting to raise your anxiety level. And you're thinking, I didn't really need this during the Christmas season. I don't need to be thinking about these crazy, you know, uh, thoughts and ideas. I mean, I came here to get offered a little bit of hope and encouragement. And now Patrick's telling me, man, my, my life doesn't matter and success doesn't matter and significance could be, I could be inventing the nuclear bomb that destroys the world and ah, you know, and so now I just want to hide and I want to just live in my temporary moment. And so let me just pause and introduce you back to the Christmas story. But introduce it to you in a way that maybe you've never thought of or known before. See, the Christmas story ties together the various true stories throughout history. Meaning you could suggest that all the different moments in history are pointing to the moment of the Christmas story. And in fact, the Christmas story ties together all of the different moments of history. The uh, author of one of the gospels in the Bible, his name is Luke. Now, before you just check out, I mean, you think, okay, he's just pointing us back to the Bible. And some of you, you have a tough time with the Bible, or maybe you doubt God, or you're questioning God. Uh, this portion of the Bible, Luke, the gospel of Luke, was written by a real guy. A guy who met people who were eyewitnesses to the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This guy, Luke, um, he's a well-educated and well-respected physician who becomes so uh, taken by these followers of Jesus that he begins to investigate the life and teachings of Jesus in such a way that he be begins to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and he wants to let other people, other people like him who are outsiders, 
He wanted to let them in on the story, the life, the teachings of Jesus. And so he writes out this historical narrative of the life of Jesus based on his investigation. And that account is later included in what becomes known as the Bible. And in his account, he wants to make this point that Jesus is not just some faraway, distant God, and nor is he a God that is like a puppet master messing with people's lives. That Jesus is both this real God, but also this real man who had deep roots in history. And so he connects the life of Jesus through history to various different individuals in his genealogy, meaning it's kind of JesusAncestry.com. And so if you jump into Luke chapter 3, verse, uh, and so I'm just going to read a little bit to you because this is kind of where we're going to pull our story from here today. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. A ah, little intrigue there. The son of David, and I keep saying that every week because I want to keep your attention on this one because soon we're going to talk about the intrigue of this guy, so it was thought, son of Joseph. Uh, but later down, so like his great, 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 great grandfather, the son of David, the son of Jesse. And suddenly, anyone who was reading the story that Luke is writing, they remember this guy, David, even if they don't, uh, aren't really familiar with the stories and the history of Israel, most people at least remember that in, in Jewish history, David is the most significant and well-respected and well-loved king. His, his dad was Jesse, and, and the way David becomes a king is actually vitally important, especially important when you start thinking about your own life and what lasts and what matters. See, there was a king in Israel, and bear in mind, we're talking around uh, 1100 BC. God had um, allowed the nation to have a king. His name was Saul, except he was a really bad king. In essence, he wanted nothing to do with God. He wanted to do things his way. And uh, God decided, yeah, I'm going to replace Saul with a new king. And so he had the prophet Samuel go to the home of Jesse. And what he was told was you're going to go to the home of Jesse and you're going to choose one of his sons that I tell you who is going to become the replacement to King Saul. And so Samuel goes to the home and he says, hey, I need to meet your sons. And so he meets the different sons. And each time he meets a son, God's like, yeah, that's not him. And so this is the first moment. When he meets the first son, this is what happens. Uh, it's found in the Old Testament in, in what's called 1 Samuel, or the first book written of the history of Israel by the prophet Samuel. He said, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, He's the oldest son of Jesse. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands there, uh, stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And there's this central principle that very quickly jumps off the pages of the story of David. And that is that even when God is choosing the next king, God says, don't look at people the way you look at them. Look at them through my lens. And as a result, Samuel chooses David. 
this farm boy. He's the youngest son. He's, he's certainly not yet his adult maturity, so he doesn't quite look like a stud yet. Not exactly the guy that you're thinking, yeah, that's going to become you know, presidential material or that's king material. But God says, this is the one I have chosen. And what you discover in this story very quickly is that God doesn't look at people God doesn't look at success. God doesn't look at muscles. God doesn't look at education. God doesn't look at politics the way we do. We look at it and we think, oh my goodness, that, that government power, they're going to destroy us. Or, oh, oh my goodness, that nuclear bomb is going to cause this. Or, oh man, those billions of dollars are my job or my family. See, we're sizing everything up through our lens of how we understand the world. And suddenly God looks at Eliab and goes, nope, he's not king material. I want that young shepherd boy. And we'll anoint him to be king. And here's the fast forward story of the life of David. From that moment, he didn't just suddenly become king. In fact, he turns around and goes right back to being a shepherd boy. I mean, he takes care of sheep. And then one day, uh, the nation of Israel goes to war against the Philistines, and David's brothers go out to war, but he has to stay back because he's too young. And he, um, and so, but his dad says, here, here's some food. I want you to bring your brothers some meals. He gets to the battlefield, and he, he sees this uh, taunting enemy soldier, this great champion warrior, mocking the God and the armies of Israel. And David says, well, what is anybody going to do about that? And everyone said, no, 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 we're scared of him. He said, well, I'm not scared. And so he runs out with a shepherd's sling, and he kills Goliath, this warrior champion enemy. And as a result of his victory, King Saul gives him the authority to begin to lead armies. And he becomes more and more successful over time, to the point where because of his success, King Saul becomes jealous. And in his jealousy, uh, he starts to hunt David like a stray dog. Like you might, somebody might, a terrible kid might throw rocks at, you know, some stray dog. And so that's what Saul does, begins to chase and hunt him. But eventually Saul goes out to battle against another, in another situation and he dies. And the end result of his death is that David becomes the king of the nation of Israel. And in that moment, you could say, okay, well, there's the end of the story. But this is where the story takes a remarkable turn. Because imagine David's life. He goes from being a follower of sheep to being the leader of a great nation. God fulfilled his promise to David. David has now reached the pinnacle. I mean, he's reached the peak. I mean, you don't, go, you don't get more significant or powerful than being the greatest king of a nation. And he loves God. His heart is right with God. God has given him wealth and success and power. And I mean, he's just got it all. And in that moment, something begins to wrestle inside of David. And he goes, you know what? For all of this could be taken from me tomorrow. I could lose it all. He begins to wrestle with what about my life will outlast me? And he comes to this idea. He goes, you know what I'll do? I'll do something for God. If I do something for God, that will last. And this is where our story is going to jump in. He decides that he's going to build God a temple. Up to this point, the nation of Israel worships God in what's called a tabernacle. It's literally a tent. That was their church. They went to a tent, and it was, it was basically, it was the opposite of permanent, right? It was very impermanent. It was very temporary. 
But God was present there. And David has this idea, let's build God a permanent place. But God responds to David. And that's where I want our story, we're gonna jump back in. Here it is. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastures, from from tending the flock. And I love this because in the original language, there's a little bit of a play on words. Remember, this wasn't written in English. So in the original language, God actually says, I took you from the pastures, from following sheep, and appointed you or made you the leader over my people Israel. I love the picture. He goes, you went from being a nobody, following sheep around, to leading my people, this great nation Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut uh, off all of your enemies from before you. You notice what God's saying? I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And then he goes like this, then God continues. And the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for, up for you offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Here's the moment. David is wrestling with, I've, I've, I've climbed the ladder of success. I'm doing significant things. And all of a sudden I'm looking around at my life and I'm going, what will last? And how do I know if what lasts matters the way I want it to matter? And so he goes, I'm going to do things for God. And God goes, no, 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 no. You don't do things for me. It doesn't work like that. You don't get to build your reputation by doing something for me. Here's what, I chose you. I plucked you out of following sheep and I made you what you are today. I gave you success over your enemies. I gave you victory. I gave you the kingdom. I, will, I have given you sons. And even when they build a house for me, it will be what I have done and I will build you a house and I will establish my kingdom through you. There is a really key principle here. Who's doing all the work? Who's building what? And the point that I wanna capture your attention is when you think about what lasts in your life and what will outlast you. Here's the principle. What God builds in us and through us lasts forever. Another way to say this is only what God builds in us and through us lasts forever. What we build won't last. What we learn, what we study, what we accomplish, what we achieve. The positions, the paychecks, the retirement accounts, the family we leave behind, none of that will last. Only what God builds in us and through us lasts forever. And so this immediately forces us to pause and go, well, wait, what is God building in us and through us? And why is this so difficult to live? Well, the challenge is most of us are doing our own thing. Most of us live most of our life in a very temporary focus. We're worried about today. We're worried about this week. We're worried about the parties and the shopping and the decorating and all that. There's, please hear me. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just reminding us that most of it won't matter and most of it won't last. And even what we think lasts won't last past our lifetime. And if it does last past our lifetime, we won't know how it lasts and whether that was good or bad. And why is that? 
It's because deep inside of us, and we all feel it, we all know it, there is a force that's driving us to do what we do. And that force, there is this selfish instinct that drives us, and as a result, it sabotages our best intentions. And that selfish force is what biblical authors call sin. Sin drives us away from God drives us toward our own desires, toward our own dreams, and toward our own view of success. Sin, because it drives us away from God toward doing our own thing, it separates us from relationship with God. It separates us from being part of what God is building because we're busy building our own kingdom. And sin, because it separates us from God, drives us to build our own kingdom, the end result is that our life concludes and nothing lasts. Nothing of any significance or meaning. And worse than that, what does last is driven by sin, which means it ends in eternal judgment. This is the dark side. But God, as revealed through the Christmas story, which connects the dots of history, See, Jesus, the great, 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 great grandson of David fulfills the promise of God to David. When God speaks up and God says to David this, right? So let me, let me remind you again. Let me read it again. This is what God says to David. He goes, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I I love it, it's like a little bit of a play on words here. What God is saying is this, yep, your son, he will build me a house, but it won't be permanent like you think. I will build through him a permanent kingdom. I will build an eternal kingdom through your son, Solomon. Okay, so let's hit the fast forward on this concept. Here's what happens. So David's son Solomon becomes king. He does build a temple for God. It's known as Solomon's temple. Unfortunately, in 586 BC, the Babylonian empire marches against Jerusalem, marches against Judah, and conquers the nation. And wipes out Jerusalem, doesn't completely destroy it, but but beats it down and tears down and destroys the temple, the temple that Solomon built. So it wasn't that permanent, was it? In fact, fast forward and you get to, um, you get to 70 AD. Now we've had a turnover of several empires. The Babylonian empire disappeared and in its place, you have the Persian empire that rose up and then the Persian empire got conquered by the Roman empire. And now in 70 AD, the, the Roman empire burns the entire city of Jerusalem. It doesn't last. And God's point to David was, whatever you build for me, it's not gonna last. But what I build in you and what I build through you will last forever. And I am building my kingdom. Now, how is God building his kingdom through Solomon? Well, here's the rest of the story, right? When Jesus comes, he doesn't come to become a political king. He doesn't come to establish a physical kingdom on earth. He comes as the prince of peace to take on and war against what is robbing us of peace, this sabotaging force called sin, which is wrecking our lives and driving us to build our own kingdoms. So when Jesus comes, he he goes to battle against our sin. He takes on our eternal judgment and he dies 
in our place, receiving the death we deserve, so that when he died, he died once for all, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin and given new and forever life. Okay, this is really important. When you believe in Jesus by faith, because he not only died, he rose again, and in his resurrection, he offers us this true life that we receive because God's spirit enters into our spirit. Now, this is what happens. When God's spirit enters into my spirit, I am changed. I am invited into what God is doing. And God begins through his spirit to do something inside of me. So let's jump back to the story. Because I think there's two, two lessons I want to give you that I think are really important. And you're going to see it right here. And now, Lord God. So this is David's response. David realizes he's hearing this. And he goes, oh my goodness. Only what God builds in me and through me lasts forever. So David yields. He goes, oh, I get it now. It's not about what I can do for God or what I can build for God, but about what God is doing in me and through me. He goes, and now, Lord God, keep forever your promise. Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. Now, this is really important. Hold on real quick. Go back to that slide. If David had built the house for God, what would the people be saying? David is great and his God is the God over Israel. They would have connected the dots always back to David, but God doesn't want to share his fame, his name and his reign with anyone. He wants to build his kingdom in us and through us. And so what David gets, he goes, oh my goodness, it's not about me. It's about my life pointing to God. And so he says, may the Lord Almighty, people will say the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And then he continues, and the house of the servant David will be established in your sight. And here is the point. When you and I are invited to become part of the eternal kingdom that God promised to David, here's, right? We are invited into God's eternal kingdom. How? When you believe in Jesus by faith, you are welcomed into God's kingdom a kingdom that is growing in you and a kingdom that is growing through you, a, an, an invisible kingdom growing in the world that we live in. But don't mistake invisible for, for, um, for a dreamy or not real. Just because you can't see it doesn't make it not real. It is more real than the world we live in. It's just that it's growing in our spirits. It's growing through our spirits and it is spreading and it is growing through generations. Now, I want to I really hopefully capture your attention with this. The, um, I referenced a couple different empires. The Babylonian Empire in 550 BC was conquered by the Persian Empire, uh, ruled at that time by Cyrus the Great, who was referred to as the king above all kings. It lasted about 220 years, uh, and then it was conquered. In, uh, in about 70 BC, the Roman Empire came to power. So that was the... Biz uh, the um, you know, uh, 
the, yeah, the Roman Empire came to power. Now, some of you know the Roman Empire lasted for about a thousand years. Actually, the whole Roman Empire only lasted about 500 years. And then the Byzantine Empire, so the Roman Empire portion of it got conquered. The Eastern portion remained and was called the Byzantine Empire. And it lasted almost another thousand years until the Ottoman Empire rose up, which would have been the spread of Islam. And it, it continued on and it lasted from about 440 AD until about 1920 during World War I when it was overthrown and conquered. And so the end of the Ottoman or Turkish empire concluded with the end of World War I. The point is this, every king, kingdom, every government, every power will eventually fall. Even the things you're afraid of will eventually cease. The things that you most respect and admire will eventually collapse around you. Every economy throughout history has crumbled. Every nation, every power, every king, every, every superhero, meaning the people that are real, that we look up to and admire, eventually it ends. But you are invited to be part of God's eternal kingdom. And when you say yes to faith in Jesus, to, to, to believing in him, you receive in you God's spirit, which gives you the promise of eternity, that I am not part of something temporary, that I am not just surviving until I die. I'm not just doing something successful. I'm not just building something significant. I am part of what lasts for forever, which changes my identity because now you and I go through life recognizing that we are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. That means in this life, I'm just passing through. This isn't my permanent home. This isn't my permanent residence. Whatever family, whatever position, whatever education, whatever responsibilities I have, these are all temporary and a day will come when I will transition from this life into eternal life where I will then take on my permanent residence with God as my king. And when you understand that God is your king, you live different. I am a child of the king who is above kings who thought they were above other kings. My God is the God who rules over all. Look, stop hanging your head. Stop worrying about every little issue that you're seeing in the world around you. Stop living in crisis mode because of everything you read on the news. Your God is the God. Your king rules over all kingdoms. And trust me, his kingdom lasts. When every other empire and emperor and king and leader falls, God continues forward and he builds his kingdom in us, which that's the last thing I want you to take away from this. So focus on what God wants to build. God builds his kingdom in and through us. So God wants to do something unseen in you. The other people don't realize that you're a child of the king above all kings. And they don't know that your kindness is like putting a brick into the, into the building of an of a eternal kingdom. They don't realize that your compassion, your generosity, your love, the way you treat people is, is like building a physical kingdom because what they miss is that God is building his kingdom in us as he builds his kingdom through us. So focus on what God is doing in you. Don't worry about you building your own kingdom. 
Don't worry about your own success. Now, please don't misinterpret this whole message and think, Patrick's telling me I don't have to get an education. I don't have to be diligent. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to get a paycheck. I'm just going to survive on loving God. No, no, hold on, hold on. God may give you a great education. He gave David, he took David from following sheep and made him the leader of a nation. God gave David success. God gave David the kingdom. But remember, whatever you do, it is what God is doing through you that lasts. If you are getting your education through God, then it will matter. If you are, when you're in a relationship, if the focus is God do this through me, help me love my spouse with your love, help me care for my children with your love. Help me serve at work with your diligence. Help me be faithful. Help me be honoring. Help me live rightly through your strength. Then my work, my family, my career, whatever I have, it's building. How is it building God's kingdom, not my kingdom? Do you, you, you see the point? It, it shifts the focus from David or Solomon and their temple to God. And if you want to you, you want to live a once upon a time story that is a for real story, not a fairy tale story. Live your life not focused on what you can build for your name or your success or your significance. But you live your life in such a way you say, God, would you build your kingdom in me and through me? Because I realize that only that lasts. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And God wants to put his life in you. God wants to put his love in you. He proved it through Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus has offered us an invitation into his kingdom. And the only thing that separates us from living a temporary life and living an eternal life is receiving through faith that invitation into God's kingdom. And I would just invite you during this Christmas season, would you respond to that and say yes to that promise of God? And then if you're willing to take that step into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus, then you begin to live your life with a focus that says, God, would you build your kingdom in me? And would you build your kingdom through me? Now, can I just challenge you? At each one of our campuses, would you just pause right now? Each of you, us, would we just pause and pray? And, and this is what I want to challenge you with. What one commitment can you make today that would last forever? Would you take a moment right now? Would you pause? Would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.